Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Nutrien 2020 First Quarter Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Rich Downey, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Nutrient's conference call to discuss our first quarter 2020 results and outlook. On the phone with us today is Mr. Chuck Negro, President and CEO of Nutrient, Mr. Pedro Ferrar, our CFO, and the heads of our three business units. As we conduct this conference call, various statements that we make about future expectations, plans, and prospects contain forward-looking information. Certain material assumptions were applied in making these conclusions and forecasts. Therefore, actual results could differ materially from those contained in our forward-looking information. Additional information about these factors and assumptions are contained in our current quarterly report to our shareholders, as well as our most recent annual report, MDNA, and annual information form filed with Canadian and U.S. Security Commissions, to which we direct you. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Chuck Negro. Thanks, Richard, and good morning, everyone, and welcome to Nutrien's first quarter 2020 earnings call. Our management team is calling from various locations around North America, ensuring we are following social distancing protocols, and we sure hope that you are listening in from somewhere safe as well. You don't need to look any further than your local community to be reminded how important the agricultural industry is to our daily lives. As grocery stores experienced lineups and empty shelves, crop input companies like Nutrien were designated an essential or critical service by governments around the world for clear reasons. Nutrient's top priority is ensuring the safety and health of our more than 25,000 employees globally and the communities in which we live and operate. This is fundamental to Nutrient's culture and is at the heart of every decision that we have made to manage through this global pandemic. Our COVID response team has been working with world-class advisors to develop policies, practices, and business continuity plans that can help safeguard all of our stakeholders. This commitment to our stakeholders extends to the $20 million of community investment program where we recently increased funding to food-related programs by a million dollars. Additionally, we donated protective equipment to local health authorities and began producing hand sanitizer at select facilities to share with local communities. Nutrien continues to produce and deliver crop inputs in a safe and efficient manner, and COVID-19 has so far had limited direct impact on our operations or on demand for crop inputs. I would like to take a moment to thank all of our employees for their commitment and dedication to conducting their, their very important work in some challenging and unusual circumstances. Nutrien has a strong balance sheet, a stable and growing dividend, and we continue to expect 
to generate strong free cash flow. Our first quarter results were in line with our expectations, and we believe our first half earnings will remain similar to our expectations from the start of the year. The current situation has highlighted, also highlights benefits from our recent investment in our industry-leading digital platform. We've had tremendous engagement as the tool provides a more convenient, highly efficient, and safe way to conduct business. In the first quarter, we had over $200 million of orders come in through the digital platform, of which $36 million was from our newly launched CDAP. About 40% of our retail products that were available online were ordered through the digital platform, nearly four times higher than our 2019 results. We said that we have the world's best agricultural e-commerce platform, and our numbers are clearly showing this. We intend to build on these strengths and have allocated about $60 million in 2020 to accelerate new functionality and tools for our customers and our agronomists. Also, out of an abundance of caution, we move very quickly to increase our financial flexibility. First, we enhanced our liquidity and cash position by increasing short-term debt facilities and drawing upon available credit lines. This ensures our business can operate efficiently through these unprecedented times and was done as a precaution for working capital requirements, facilitating sales and managing our capital structure. At the end of the quarter, we had over $3 billion of cash on hand with access to another $2 billion of credit lines. To date, we've added an additional $1.5 billion of committed credit facilities. As such, we are well positioned from a cash and liquidity perspective to weather any potential storm. Our leverage remains within our targeted range of two to three times of annual EBITDA through the cycle. Our single financial debt covenant of debt to capital is 41%, well below the covenant ratio limit of 65%. Second, we deferred more than half a billion dollars of capital projects that don't impact our safety or reliability of our operations. While we continue to adapt to the current situation, Nutrient strategy remains on course, and the company is in solid financial position with a strong balance sheet, exceptional quality assets, a stable and growing dividend, and ample liquidity. Now let's turn to the results for the quarter and the market update. Nutrient delivered $508 million of adjusted EBITDA in what is a seasonally slow quarter. Retail sales were up 30% in the first quarter, despite lower crop nutrient prices this year. 60% of the growth was from acquisitions and 40% from organic growth, which was supported by strong performance from our extensive proprietary products line and our online platform. The Australian re retail business performed extremely well, and we are making great progress on integrating the rural co-business, and we are well ahead of our planned synergy target by over $35 million Australian dollars. We also continue to advance our growth strategy in Brazil, announcing the acquisition of Tech Agro, a leading ag retailer and soybean seed producer. With this acquisition, we expect our existing investments in Brazil to contribute half a billion dollars of annual revenue. In Potash, our EBITDA declined this quarter due to lower selling prices. Strong North American sales volumes largely offset weaker international volumes. 
The increase in North American sales reflected the increase in seeded acreage and solid application rates supported by soil fertility requirements after several seasons of missed applications. Offshore sales declined about 10% due to cautious spot purchasing in some international markets, and we continue to be focused on our controllables, reporting a stable potash production cost of $60 per tonne. Turning to nitrogen and phosphate, nitrogen EBITDA was down due to lower nitrogen prices. We grew sales volumes by about 300,000 tonnes this quarter, supported by recent brownfield capacity expansions, and we also benefited from lower North American gas costs. Our phosphate EBITDA was down slightly from last year. While our industrial phosphate business performed well, it could not fully offset the impact from lower DAP and MAP prices compared to last year. There are several factors that will support solid crop input demand this spring. In fact, we are seeing excellent crop input demand across North America and Australia this season. While crop prices have recently come under pressure from a slowdown in non-food demand, U.S. farmers are still expecting to plant an additional 15 million acres this year, and planting is progressing well despite COVID-19. We expect U.S. corn acreage to come in between 94 and 96 million acres this year, slightly lower than the USDA's March estimate of 97 million acres. The harvest in Brazil is nearly complete, and most growers have locked in profits on their current soybean crop. Indications are they've also forward contracted a greater portion of next year's crop. Brazilian grower economics continue to be strong, and despite some dry conditions there, we expect strong soybean acreage growth again this year. There are also several recent supportive U.S. government programs for agriculture. The U.S. Coronavirus Food Assistance Program will provide $19 billion in immediate and direct support to farmers and ranchers who have been negatively impacted by COVID-19 and in direct support of food purchase and distribution programs. Congress is also considering funding for ethanol producers, and Nutrien is working with our biofuel partners to support this effort. Also, phase one of the U.S.-China agricultural trade deal is being implemented, as highlighted by recent corn exports to China, and we believe the deal will be highly supportive for U.S. growers. However, no company is immune to the recent volatility. For our business, we believe the uncertainty is, is predominantly in the second half of the year. We have lowered our 2020 annual adjusted EBITDA guidance to 3.5 to 3.9 billion, incorporating the risks as we see them today. The biggest change has been to our potash business, where we've lowered full-year EBITDA guidance by about $300 million. Despite solid potash demand in the U.S., cautious buying in international markets has weighed on global demand and prices. The recent China potash contract is expected to add clarity to the market and should accelerate offshore shipments over the next couple of months. However, we've lowered our 2020 global potash shipment forecast by about a million tons to 65 to 67 million tons to reflect China market dynamics, a relatively slow start to the year outside of the U.S., and expected impact from lower biofuel demand. We are working with, our camp, with Campotex to determine our next steps in terms of volumes and length of contract in China, but it does provide a floor and we have already seen more demand and higher prices in markets like Brazil. In retail, 
we maintained our 2020 EBITDA guidance of $1.4 to $1.5 billion, given the fundamental resilience of the business and what we are seeing so far in Q2. This is despite an estimated $25 to $50 million of FX headwind for our non-US-based retail operations as a result of a much stronger US dollar. We are monitoring the increased risk in the second half of the year from impacts to parts of the food supply chain, including fruit and vegetables, dairy and livestock, which has the potential to impact crop inputs over time. In nitrogen, some of our industrial customers are experiencing lower demand for their products as a result of COVID-19 impacts on the broader economy. As such, we've lowered our expectations for ammonia and nitrates demand in 2020. And due to the current ammonia prices, we made the decision to temporarily curtail production at one of our ammonia plants in Trinidad. While a lot has changed over the, the past few months, what remains constant is food security is vital. Many of us have come to expect that food would always be available at the grocery store. The current situation is a stark reminder that this is something we can no longer accept as a given. As always, Nutrien is there to support our customers to ensure they have inputs they need to supply world's food through this challenging time. Nutrien's integrated model is designed to perform well despite economic volatility. This is supported by our people, our strategy, the quality and mix of our assets, and the importance of the demand for food and crop inputs. We have a strong balance sheet, a stable and growing dividend, and significant free cash flow generation potential. We remain focused on long-term value creation, which includes continuing to grow our business to feed the future and returning capital to our shareholders. Finally, we are committed to leading the way in sustainability for our industry. We issued our 2020 ESG report in April, highlighting our approach and future plans. And I'm pleased to announce Charlotte Hillebrandt recently joined our leadership team as Executive Vice President of Stakeholder Relations and will be our Chief Sustainability Officer. She brings exceptional experience to the role and makes Nutrien one of only a small group of companies in the Fortune 500 to have a CSO at this level. Given our position as the world's largest provider of crop inputs and solutions, our access to technology, our deep relationship with growers, we are in a unique position to take a leadership role in innovative and sustainable agronomic practices, and we have every intention of doing that. With that, operator, I'll turn it over for questions. Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please limit yourself to one question per person. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Jacob Bout of CIBC. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, good morning. <clears throat> so we're seeing some uh, storm clouds brewing for uh, U.S. corn. Um, you know, concerns on collapse in ethanol demand, meat demand, and, and further uh, ramp in, in trade wars here. How should we be thinking about um, the farmer response, uh, input demand um, in the second half of 2020 and into 2021? Yeah, good morning, Jacob. So uh, I'll turn that uh, question over to Mike Frank. He's closest to it, and then I'll, I'll give you a couple high-level questions after that. So go ahead, Mike. Yeah, good morning, Jacob. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, 
you know, new crop corn right now is futures are around 3.30 a bushel, um, which is down from about four dollars just a couple months ago. You know, that does change the economics, obviously, for our grower customers in the U.S. You know, so I think as they think about the economic threshold for products like uh, fungicides and insecticides, um, there is a bit of a change in calculation. So, you know, look, we're, we're seeing extremely strong demand out of the gate. Our first quarter was strong. Um, as Chuck mentioned, we're running strong uh, right now uh, in our second quarter. Um, we, we are seeing, you know, intentions to follow through on, on the planting of, you know, of 94 to 96 million acres of, of corn. Um, fertilizer sales have been really strong. There's been more uh, pre-plant uh, herbicides this year. So, you know, so, so far everything is, is gone well, uh, I think, from a retail standpoint. But I do think, you know, once we get into the summer months, depending on uh, what uh, commodity prices do, what kind of programs uh, come out from the government, you know, that, that will have some impact on, on how farmers think about finish, finishing off the crop. And Jacob, just a little bit more. So obviously when, when corn approaches $3 and beans at $8, uh, if you step, step back and you look at just basic farmer economics, uh, growers that have rented land, they're, they're underwater. Uh, if you have your own land, your own land you, you're, you're still making a, a, a margin on it, but it's not a great margin. So in other words, what, what we think will happen is, of course, these, these pricing levels are not sustainable. And over time, you'll start to see acreage shift which I think will be natural and be healthy for the market. But what we also think will happen specifically this year, as Mike mentioned, is there is a lot of government support programs right now. So I, we don't think it's a liquidity issue uh, from a farmer perspective. In fact, their behavior right now is one of, of getting the crop in and investing quite well in the crop. But over time, if these prices persist uh, and we don't have the government support programs, we, will, we would expect that we would see acreage shift to tighten up the supply demand. And all of that we believe is healthy for the market. And our next question comes from the line of PJ Jukovar from CIDI. Please go ahead, your line is open. Yes, hi, good morning. Uh, Chuck, you talked about liquidity availability. What do you think post-planting, you know, liquidity will be in the system? And are you extending any credit to growers globally? PJ, we're having a hard time hearing you. Can you just repeat your question, maybe get a little closer to the mic? Hello? Hi. That's better, PJ. Thanks. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, did you hear my question or should I repeat? No. Can you please repeat it? Yes, yes. Sorry about that. So you mentioned liquidity in the system, but... Yeah. So what do you think is the liquidity or credit availability for growers post-planting as if this virus were to extend the impact of the virus? And are you extending any credit to growers? And if yes, can you give us some more details about expected potential for bad debt, et cetera? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks, PJ. Uh, so, look, uh, we are extending credit to growers. We've, I think we've got a great insight on that with our our new nutrient finance business, and, and uh, I know Pedro Fajar and his credit team have been all over this. So, Pedro, why don't you take that question? Yes, thank you, uh, Chuck, and thank uh, PJ. Thanks for the question. 
we, we have not seen yet a abnormal uh, behavior in, of course, pretty much like your question, we are monitoring very closely because uh, we are, we're expecting some of the credit to be withdrawn from, from banks. But so far, uh, the, the, both the requests, the orders for credit have been normal and the payment uh, has been normal. So the liquidity seems to be adequate for our customers. We have not seen an increase in overdues or delinquencies. As a matter of fact, even after a bad year like last year was, in which we had record bad weather, we were able to improve uh, our, our collections, uh, our delinquency, and we actually reversed some of our reserves. So, uh, so far, so good, but we will maintain uh, very alert as we go forward if the situation changes. But so far, uh, that seems to be adequate liquidity, and we intend to continue to extend liquidity to our customers. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Adam Samuelson of Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, was hoping to get uh, just a little bit more color um, on the potash kind of outlook and and the changes. And you did trim down your uh, your, your expectations for for market growth, um, which makes sense. I'm just trying to think about the producer response, and it just it would seem that the guidance implies both yourself and other producers are going to take more meaningful downtime again in the in the second half of the year as they did last year. I mean, there's at least a million tons of new capacity um, coming on the market between uh, between Eurochem and KNS um, and some of the stuff that SQM has, has come in, uh, on, and I'm just trying to make sure. Uh, I'm reading that right, and, and just how you're how you're thinking about the production outlook this year. Yeah. Good morning, Adam. Uh, so we we did, uh, as you rightly point out, lowered our our view that uh, the demand for potash this year will be down about a million tons, and really the the driver for that is uh, biofuel demand. So uh, especially from palm oil. Uh, will we believe is going to uh, reduce demand in Southeast Asia. Of course, the, the China uh, situation and the, the China contract now has provided uh, some clarity to the market, and we're starting to see uh, an increase in demand and slightly higher prices as well in other markets. So that's the good news. But we're, we're just at, at the pricing levels that that uh, we we saw uh, China settle. Um, we're not sure we, we're going to want to put a lot of demand into China uh, in the second half of the year. So we've pulled back, uh, at least from uh, from our perspective, uh, sales. Uh, demand just from that market, and then at, from the previous question, you know, if you think start thinking about three dollar corn, uh, we're having a very good application season right now. Uh, but that will be determined what happens in the United States in the, in the second half of the year for the fall application season. So when we roll it all up, it's, it's, our view is that the market's going to come off about a million tons, uh, and 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 then uh, if you look at our our uh, guidance from a production perspective and sales perspective. You know, we've 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 reduced our our sales book as well, uh, simply because the global demand is going to slow down. But it, but I think it, we st we're still expecting to sell more than we did last year, and and so we will balance the supply that we're going to have with the market demand like we we normally do. Um, and you know, right now, what I'd say is that we're seeing a decent movement, and so far in the first from the first quarter, we saw very good movement of potash, 
and, and that's continuing in the second quarter. But w there is more risk in the second half, and we've tried to reflect that in our annual guidance. And our next question comes on the line of Ben Isaacson of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you very much. Um, you guys have talked about uh, weak industrial demand for nitrogen. Uh, and on, on the supply side, we're seeing uh, coal prices move lower. Can you talk about how uh, the supply and demand is shaping up for the rest of the year and what marginal costs right now? Thank you. Yeah, so uh, Rafe Sully can answer those questions for you, Ben. Ben, so look, I, I don't. Th I think it's too early to to call exactly what's going to happen on the industrial side. I think on the agricultural side, we're seeing a very strong spring. Um, as you saw, we were up 300,000 tonnes year over year in the first quarter. That's continuing in the second quarter. There may be a, uh, there are some industrial products out there that are tied to GDP. Um, if there's a recession coming out of COVID-19, we may see a fall off in those. Um, but I think it's too early to give an indication of what we expect to happen. Um, obviously, we will move product around. Um, if there is some softness in industrials in the third and fourth quarter, it may impact ag prices in the third and fourth quarter. And we'll do our best to try and move uh, the industrial product we have in ammonia and other products into the agricultural market where we can. Chuck, I don't know if you want to add anything. No, look, I think you captured it, Ben. Look, with the, the general slowdown in the broader economy, um, it, you know, it just goes, stands to reason that there's going to be less industrial production, period, and that's going to have an impact on industrial demand for nitrogen and nitrates. And, and so we've, we've tried to factor that in, and, and we're looking at our sales book for the second half of the year. If the economy starts to come back in the second half of the year, then we probably won't have the, the impact that we're expecting. Uh, but, but based on what we see today in a slower recovery assumption uh, in the second half of the year from a general broader economy, uh, you know, we think that there's going to be just a, less demand for our industrial uh, nitrogen, which could have a spillover effect into the ag markets. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Steve Byrne of Bank of America. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. This is Luke Washer on for Steve. You talked a little bit about your the strength of your online platform earlier. I wanted to ask, how do you think COVID-19 may have accelerated interest in this platform? And do you think this is relatively sticky in that cut your existing customers could start using that more often in subsequent years? And could that present maybe margin or market share opportunity for you? Thank you. Good morning, Luke. Uh, yeah, so Mike Frank can take that question. Yeah, good morning, Luke. So when you think about COVID-19, firstly, I would say having a trusted relationship with our customers is more important than ever. Um, you know, even though we've seen significant uptick in the use of our digital tools, um, it's also clear that having a deep relationship with our customers where we, we know their fields, we know their priorities, uh, makes a huge difference. Now, obviously, we, we do think that the digital platform, which is beyond uh, simply e-commerce, it's also about uh, planning the field, um, uh, providing sustainability metrics, providing uh, field-specific insights on, on weather and, and uh, moisture conditions. This all comes together in, in a tool 
that our customers are getting a lot of utility from, as well as our salespeople. And in fact, if, if anything, I think it's driving a deeper relationship between our field sales uh, team uh, and our customers. And so we, we really see these things fitting together. Um, and, you know, the, the outcome will be um, more efficiency, um, and ultimately uh, it'll drive organic growth. In fact, we think we're seeing that already uh, because it's providing more convenience uh, for our customers, uh, obviously allows them to deal with us in a very safe uh, manner today from a, a COVID-19 standpoint, um, and, and convenience and scalability for our, our sales organization. So, um, you know, the, the investments that we're making are, have definitely paid off, and, you know, as you can see from the, the slide presentation, uh, there's a number of enhancements that we're also bringing through the rest of the year that are also going to continue to drive the, uh, the stickiness of the platform. And our next question comes from the line of Chris Parkinson of Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you very much. Um, you just hit on this a little, but just to further dive into it, can you just talk about uh, just your outlook for the M&A strategy, the retail M&A strategy for the remainder of the year um, and into 21 in both the U.S. and Brazil, just any updates on your thought process there? And then just also as a corollary of that, you know, how do you feel your U.S. Uh, competitive positioning is um, in terms of the digital ag supplier relationships uh, versus uh, some of your larger peers? Thank you very much. Good morning, Chris. Uh, Mike, Frank, why don't you take those? Sure. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, let me start with the M&A side. Um, so firstly, you know, what, what we're seeing right now is that the uh, acquisitions we made last year uh, are all performing very well. Uh, Rolco, as we talked about, um, is, is off to a great start. The integration is, is well underway, and uh, the Synergy Capture Plan is, is also uh, clearly uh, uh, available for us. And so uh, Rural Co. in Australia, which really does transform our business in Australia, is performing very well. Um, Actigrow, which was a large acquisition last year in the U.S., is also performing extremely well. Um, we, we've announced in Brazil a couple of acquisitions this year. Agrosima uh, is an acquisition that, that closed in the first quarter. Uh, it's also off to a great start. Our Agrochem business, which we uh, closed last year, is performing well. And we recently announced uh, an, another acquisition, a larger acquisition of a company called Tech Agro, um, and we expect that to close here uh, very soon as, as well, which is not only a retail business, but it also has a, a, a very uh, sub substantial proprietary seed business. Now, now going forward, um, look, typically on tuck-ins, uh, especially in the U.S., there's, there's more activity in the second half of the year um, you know, so depending on how the COVID-19 situation plays out, I think that could have an impact on, you know, our ability to do due diligence and, and uh, close deals. And so we're, we're watching that. We're having a lot of conversations right now with pr prospective uh, uh, targets. And so we, we do think there's a pipeline available. And there's also uh, more targets uh, in Brazil as well. But when you think about Brazil, you know, we've talked in the past about having eventually about a billion-dollar business in Brazil – with the acquisitions that we've made, including uh, Tech Agro, when it closes, uh, we'll have a, a business that ha will have a run rate of about a half a billion dollars. And so we're, we're already well on our way in, in Brazil. So uh, that's on the M&A front. In, in terms of digital ag, I would say we're um, well out in front of the industry from a retail standpoint. Um, you know, we're really, the, as Chuck mentioned in, in the opening comments, we're really the, the only national company that, that has a platform that 
combines uh, e-commerce, uh, digital insights uh, at the field level, um, and tools that our sales organization can really leverage to create scalability uh, and convenience for our customers. And so I would say we're, we're well out uh, ahead of the rest of the industry from a digital ag standpoint. And our next question comes from the line of Steve Hansen from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, Chuck, your comments earlier on the, the China potash settlement we've seen uh, suggests the price point might be a little lackluster relative to your expectations. I think you suggested you might be steering some volumes away from there. Uh, I'm just trying to get a sense for how you guys feel about, you know, the pricing environment. It's out there. We've spoken to demand a bit, but maybe just give us some context around the spot market behavior you've been seeing after the settlement and, and why you think prices, uh, price opportunities might be better elsewhere uh, relative to the broader picture in, in China. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Steve. Um, look, uh, I think that the, the price in China is too low. Um, you know, I'm not going to mince a lot of words around that. Uh, China tapped their strategic reserves during the negotiation. A country can do that when you're negotiating with a country and that provided them with leverage. Uh, also, the fact that, and this is no surprise to anyone on the call, that you know there's, there's excess capacity of potash in the market right now. So what, where we are right now is we're trying to get our head around and we're working with Campitex to determine our next steps. But given how unattractive the price is for Nutrien, it's going to be difficult for us to provide a long-term commitment at these price levels. Now, what it has done, though, is it's pretty clear now that, that, uh, that there's been clarity uh, in the market. We're seeing a pickup now in demand in, in good uh, other markets, say like Brazil, and prices have also started to rise in those core markets. So I, I think uh, there's, there's two things about the China contract. One is we don't like the price, and we'll have to determine you know, what we do when it comes to the length of the contract and the volume. But the other markets are starting to pick up. Uh, because there's now some clarity in, in the global market. So there, there's some good news to that as well. And it's best that I probably leave it there since we don't have uh, a, an arrangement with China yet, but th those would be my, my thoughts. Appreciate it. Thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Michael Pickin of Cleveland Research. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning. Um, just wanted to touch base a little bit on um, – how the retail business is going to be approaching fill season, presumably with a you know good uh, you know spring season, you'll probably end with fairly low uh, inventories, I would imagine, on most fertilizer products. But I'm um, just wondering, you know, given the uncertainties in the back half of the year, how retail is thinking about uh, participating in fill this summer. Yeah, uh, Mike Frank, why don't you take that question, please? Yeah, so Michael, we're very focused on working capital and. Um, you know, we're also watching appreciation in the fertilizer uh, markets. And so right now, you know, based on our, our commitments for uh, the, the spring and summer months, we'll, we expect that we'll be going into the, the fall season, um, you know, right now with, with empty sheds. And so we'll position ourselves um, with the ability then to, to restock uh, for the fall season ahead. So... Um, you know, look, there, there's been a very strong demand uh, in, in Q1 alone. You know, our, our tons were up almost 30%, um, and all of those tons, you know, went, went on the ground. And we continue to see strong demand here in, in Q2. 
Um, and so, um, you know, we're, we're going to have our, our powder dry going into uh, the fall season to uh, refill our, our fertilizer sheds. And I would say it's the same from a crop protection standpoint. You know, we're, we're committed through the, the, the spring and, and uh, mostly through the summer right now. Uh, but, you know, we anticipate that there's going to be significant uh, de-inventorying in, in our, our total working capital from uh, both a uh, crop protection and a fertilizer standpoint. Our next question comes from the line of Joel Jackson of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Joel. Um, Chuck, your Capitex partner put out a different uh, incremental potash demand forecast this week, only expecting about a million tons of fewer growth uh, this year than what you are. Obviously, a lot of your sales are tied to Capitex together. So if that scenario plays out, would you expect nutrient if that more bear case scenario plays out, would you expect to have little or no potash volume growth yourself this year, considering, you know, the tons, the inventory built from Eurocali and the new tons from Eurochem and some of the other players that have more volume this year? Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we certainly don't uh, communicate or discuss our views. You can clearly see that they're different. Um, and uh, certainly from a nutrient perspective, we would stand by our numbers in terms of 65 to 67. And as such, when we look at that and we look at our customer commitments and, and the demand that we're expecting, we, we're pretty transparent with our, our planned sales, Joel. So I'll leave it there to say that we, we are expecting um, slightly weaker market than we, we had thought in February for the reasons I've already outlined, uh, but still a, a growth year over year. Uh, and as such, when we see global growth year over year, we expect our sales to be up year over year as well. And our next question comes from the line of John Roberts of UBS. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, um, thank you. and glad you all sound well. Um, your partner in Campitex also made the case that 2016 makes for a lot of parallels with the current potash market. Do you have a view on that? Uh, certainly, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think maybe what, what I, I'll do is I'll pitch it over to, uh, to Ken, who was sort of running uh, Capitex at that point, and, and he'll have a, the, probably the best perspective. So, Ken, why don't you take that question? Yeah, I don't know that uh, my answer is so much better than yours, Chuck, and, and that is, okay, we sit here at the beginning of uh, first quarter behind us in 2020, and yes, we're seeing some stability in the market, as Chuck said, with the China contract. We're seeing prices up in Brazil. So that's kind of analogous to what we saw in, um, in 2016. But at the same time, I think as the year unfolds, there's some real unknowns uh, that have been talked about on this call and, and uh, biofuels being one. So, uh, you know, I think you'll have to ask um, Mosaic further about their comparisons to 2016. I think it's suffice it to say that we'll just stick with our view here of uh, our current guidance that Chuck's been talking about, 12.1 to 12.5 million tons um, on on demand that's uh, in that sort of 65 to 67 million ton range, and uh, avoid um, full comparisons to what happened in 2016. Yeah, and John, maybe I'll have Jason Newton, who's on our line, who's our chief economist. Uh, you know, he, he studies this stuff for a living. So, uh, Jason, do you have any further thoughts? Yeah, John, the one thing I'd add, I think I think there are uh, a number of, of parallels in, in terms of what we've seen.
see in demand in spot markets. So if you look at, at Brazil, for example, they've been drawing down inventories, and we think there's some uh, pent-up demand there, which is similar to, to what the case was uh, in 2016. Um, and I think also similar to 2016, we got down to similar pricing levels, and, and we know there's uh, you're, you're approaching uh, the marginal cost, and there's, there's quite a few producers that are – uh, cash negative at or below uh, where current prices are. So that's, that's, that's a lot the same as, as, uh, as was the case in 2016. Um, and the market's quite a bit bigger uh, today than it was in 2016 uh, as well. Um, I, I guess from a, a differences uh, standpoint, uh, I mean, the big one is the, the uncertainty regarding uh, palm oil and biofuels, as, as mentioned, and then overall economic uncertainty as we look towards uh, the second half of the year. And our next question comes from the line of Vincent Andrews of Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, this is Jeremy Rosenberg. I'm for Vincent. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, looking at your guidance, if you could just help us frame up um, what gets you to the high end of your, your sales ton ranges for, for both potash and nitrogen. Thank you. Yeah, so at a high level, uh, if you look at the guidance range, uh, you know, when we set our guides back in February, we weren't thinking of the impact, of course, of COVID in, in North America. And at that point, oil prices were, were 50 bucks. So literally, it's a different world today. Um, and, and then, of course, back in February, corn was over 350. So uh, the, the way we think about the, the guidance range right now is that we have factored in uh, the risks as we see them, um, and, and we don't we don't expect to see a significant increase uh, in terms of price recovery, whether it's nitrogen or, or potash. Um, but to get to the higher end of the, of the guidance range, we would be at the higher end of our volume. So uh, th think about uh, a V-shaped type recovery. Um, that, that's what we would be considering when we think about the high end of the range is that uh, industrial demand would, would start to see some, some return. Uh, biofuel becomes economic again, um, and you start to see uh, demand for biofuel pulling through uh, corn and and ethanol, and then of course potash in Southeast Asia. So that's sort of some of the color that, that we would articulate for the top end of the, the, the guidance range is, is that you start to see uh, the, the economy uh, open up, um, and then along with that will become the, the, the levers and the connection that we have to the ag complex. Our next question comes from the line of Jonas Oxgard of Bernstein. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, this is Jackson Kulison for Jonas. Uh, thanks for taking my question, guys. Um, so I have two quick questions, if you don't mind. Um, the first is that several crop inputs companies have indicated that strong early demand has caused farmers to f pull forward purchases from the second quarter into the first. Have you seen this in your retail business? And if so, can you quantify the impact? Uh, and the second question is just, can you um, talk about what projects you delayed to achieve your $500 million in uh, plant capex reduction and what you would need to see to resume activity there? Thanks. Oh, okay, we'll have Mike Frank answer the pull forward question and then we'll have Pedro uh, Fahar answer the projects question. So go ahead, Mike. Sure, Jackson. So, you know, you're referring to obviously the 
um, the suppliers to retail talking about uh, pushing a little bit of inventory into the channel in Q1, you know, potentially because of both COVID and, and anticipation of a larger market. And I would say, you know, what we did uh, with our suppliers is, is we pulled forward uh, products that, that we anticipated we were going to need based on the, uh, the, the larger acreage. And, and in Australia, the, the really good weather and, and the rains that they got that really set up a, a, a much better year in Australia. If, if you think about the retail side of the equation, our side, it's really hard to pull forward uh, fertilizer and chem sales because, you know, those go, go on the ground. You know, most of our, our chem is bulk. A lot of it's custom applied. And the same with fertilizers. Really, there's, you know, very little ability for farmers to store fertilizer. When you look at our seed sales, you know, our seed sales were up about 11% uh, in the first quarter. And again, that's consistent with our expectation of a larger market. So, you know, we, we didn't see a material uh, pull forward. We did see good weather. We saw good weather in Australia. We saw good weather in much of the U.S. that allowed us to get uh, more fertilizer down um, and more crop protection uh, on the ground. And so that really is what drove our 30% increase in revenue uh, quarter over quarter. Pedro, take the capital project yeah, question. Certainly. Uh, thanks. And Jackson, uh, what, what we are delaying is uh, the two types of investment. Number one is the investments that have a very long payback. Typically, they associate with uh, productivity gains, uh, and we are favoring a shorter uh, payback type projects at this point in time. Uh, and the other one is there is a natural delay because of timing uh, on some other projects that we have because of uh, supply chain issues with critical equipment uh, or the need for social distancing as we execute on those projects and to preserve social distancing, we, we cannot implement the projects at the time that we had originally planned. So those were kind of sliding into next year. So that is kind of the bulk of our $500 million uh, delay. And our next question comes from the line of Jeff Zakoxis of J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Um, good morning. It's Zucker Cooper. Jeff, how are you? Good. Um, I have a question on the uh, North American um, potash market, um, and, and it has two parts. Like the first one is, is um, could lower corn acres in 2021 have any impact as to how much potash um, North American farmers, you know, might want to buy um, at the end of the year or in the fourth quarter, and like, you know, how, how do you think about that? And um, the second question is on North American potash prices. And that is, your um, price in the first quarter was like you know, $196 a ton FLB, and the fourth quarter was like you know, $226. And I was wondering if you could just talk about the trajectory for potash prices domestically in April and May. Thank you. Okay, it's best to have Jason Newton, I think, our economist, just uh, answer those questions. Yeah, sure. So on, on the lower corn acreage, um, I think uh, obviously if, if corn acreage is expected to be lower, which we would expect to be in, in 2021, uh, it will have a, a negative impact on uh, on overall potash demand and nutrient demand in general. But uh, it is important to note that there is uh, offsets and we'd, we'd expect that a lot of the lost corn acreage would be replaced by soybeans. And so uh, if you think of a million ton 
shift from from one product to the other. Uh, it, it, it worked out to about um, a, I mean a lot about 40,000 tons of uh, of product for corn, but you gain uh, 25 or 30. Uh, thousand of that back uh, in, in terms of the soybean demand. So it's it's not a it, it's it's there is an offset with the soybean supply. Uh, for fall demand, what really drives uh, farm level uh, fall demand is weather, and so that's that's probably the biggest driver uh, of the second half. But we would expect um, the retail end of the supply chain to be cautious with inventories uh, as as we go into the second half of the year, which is uh, what impacted our outlook um, in that. Uh, time period. Uh, in terms of the potash prices, uh, the U.S. market really followed uh, what happened in the rest of the world, although uh, prices have held up uh, better, and, and in fact, prices in the U.S. Gulf were uh, at a premium uh, to what was the case in Brazil, but prior to uh, the recent Brazilian uh, prices starting to increase. So we have seen over time that the, the U.S. market has lagged a little bit behind uh, where the rest of the world is and as we uh, look into the second half of the year, we'd expect some nor normal seasonality with the fill season uh, through the summer, um, and then and then see how demand develops in the fall. Yeah, maybe just a couple of other comments at the at the highest level in terms of our view of potash pricing going forward, whether it's 20, 2021 or twenty twenty two. So, look, our view is constructive. We we believe that what we're seeing right now. Part of it is is the economy and uh, the COVID-19 related. Part of it is we have new capacity coming into the market. But generally speaking, the demand has been growing quite nicely on average. And we would expect that if potash demand continues to grow globally at that 2.5% per year level, uh, once we see uh, uh, the, the COVID situation and the oil prices stabilize a little bit, you're going to see the supply demand for potash tighten uh, quite readily. And as the market uh, as supply demand starts to tighten, I think you're going to see prices follow. So we're, we're quite constructive on potash still. It's a, it's a, a market, though, that has had uh, a tough year in, in terms of 20, uh, uh, 2020. Um, and I think what we're seeing right now in terms of, of the China potash contract settlement at the levels that it did, we are starting to see... Uh, some constructive uh, behavior in the market when it comes to um, increased demand and, and price momentum. And I think longer term, we expect that that will continue because we do see that demand for potash uh, over time will, will continue to grow. And there are no further questions in the queue at this time. I will turn the call back over to Chuck Magro, CEO. Oh, okay. Well, th thank you all. I think that was all the questions in the queue. Uh, look, IR is available for any follow-ups that you have. I really appreciate the interest in the, the company, and I hope that you're all well and safe. But take care, and we'll, we'll talk soon. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.